This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good evening, GYC. Is this a youth conference? One more time, sit up straight, air in your lungs. Oh, GYC, do you love Jesus? Are you sure you love Jesus? I can't hear you. And why do you love Jesus? Because he first loved me. That's the reason we all are to all together. Oh, how I love Jesus. Singing, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. How many of you, that's why you're here tonight, because you love Jesus? Amen. Amen. Have you had a high Sabbath? Are you full? Or do you have room for one more spiritual meal? God is good, amen? My nose is clean. Hallelujah. I told someone, I don't, I don't need any onions or garlic or honey. I just need to pray this stuff out of my nose. And that's exactly what I did. I said, who made man's nose? The Lord did. Can you say amen? Amen. So it's nice to be able to breathe fresh air while you preach God's word. God is good. I know many of you were praying for me, and I am eternally grateful. What a privilege it has been to study the word of God together with you. So for this final message, I just invite your prayers one more time throughout this entire sermon. If you would kneel with me as far as you're able as we have prayer this night. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Lord, what a privilege it is to be kneeling in your presence. Lord, your, your prophet said that it is when every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before God. It makes more distinct the voice of God. Lord, we just pray that one more time that you would use this man who is but dust in your sight. That you would speak through me and you would speak to me. Father, that Jesus would be lifted up. Lord, that he would be seen. And that we would leave this place with more ardent desire to love and to serve him, our king. Lord, help us to not just be called. Help us to not just be chosen, but help us to be faithful. This is our prayer. And we trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we ask in the mighty name of Jesus, let all of God's people say, Amen. Sam Walter Foss.
He wrote a poem that I love called The Calf Path. And the poem goes something like this. One day through the primeval wood, a calf walked home as good calves should, but made a trail all bent askew, a crooked trail as all calves do. Since then, 300 years have fled, and I infer the calf is dead, but still he left behind his trail, and thereby hangs my moral tale. The trail was taken up the next day by a lone dog that passed that way. And then a wise bellwether sheep pursued the trail or vale and steep and drew the flock behind him too, as good bellwethers always do. And from that day, o'er hill and glade, through those old woods a path was made. And many men wound in and out and dodged and turned and bent about and uttered words of righteous wrath because twas such a crooked path. But still they followed, do not laugh, the first migrations of that calf. And through this winding woodway stalked because he wobbled when he walked. This forest path became a lane that bent and turned and turned again. This crooked lane became a road where many a poor horse with his load toiled on beneath the burning sun and traveled some three miles in one. And thus a century and a half, they trod the footsteps of that calf. The years passed on in swiftness fleet. The road became a village street. And this before men were aware, a city's crowded thoroughfare. And soon the central street was this of a renowned, metropolis and men two centuries and a half trod in the footsteps of that calf each day a hundred thousand rout followed the zigzag calf about and o'er his crooked journey went the traffic of a continent a hundred thousand men were led by one calf near three centuries dead they followed still his crooked way and lost 100 years a day. For thus such reverence is lent to well-established precedent. A moral lesson this might teach were I ordained and called to preach. For men are prone to go it blind along the calf paths of the mind and work away from sun to sun to do what other men have done. They follow in the beaten track and out and in and forth and back and still their devious course pursue to keep the path that others do. They keep the path a sacred groove along which all their lives they move. Who saw the first, but how the wise old wood gods laugh who saw that first primeval calf. Ah, many things this tale might teach but I am not ordained to preach. Many of us are walking the calf path. When we get up each year with the same slides and the same sermons handed down from previous generations, wondering why our $100,000 budget only brought in one soul, we are walking the calf path. When we continue to adopt and promote methods of evangelism and youth ministry 
that have already been proven not to work, we are walking in the crooked calf path. When we simply attend church just in time for the sermon and go home only to sleep, we are only walking in the path of a crooked calf. You see, when we continue to pursue relationships with unbelievers, despite the painful examples of Solomon and the antediluvians, we are walking in the crooked path of that calf. We need to pause a moment tonight, GYC, and think about why we do what we do. Who is the calf that we are following? Is it your favorite pastor? Is that your calf? Is it your favorite professor? Is that your calf? Is your best friend your calf? Is your boyfriend or your girlfriend your calf? Is it someone you just feel is more intelligent than you? That you are just walking in the beaten path. But you see, I believe tonight that we continue to follow others because we are afraid to fail on our own. But according to Regina Duggan, the former director of the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, she says, the path to truly new, never been done before things is paved with failure along the way. She went on to ask a probing question. She says, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? Too many times in our church board meetings, we are not attempting to do what we would do if we knew we would fail. We wonder why we get meager results because we had meager plans. The prophet of the Lord says, you do not accomplish much because you do not attempt much. We need to learn to recognize that young people want to be challenged. They want to bring all of their being into the work of God. God has called a remnant for such a time as this, not to come to church to be average. I don't want to be more of the same. I don't want to be like anyone else. I want to be what God made me to be. I want to be what God said in his mind when he said, I'm going to make a Sebastian Braxton. And I live a life that God looks at the picture in his mind and the picture of my life. And he says, yes, that's what I was thinking when I made you. I don't want to walk in any more paths of crooked calves. I have my favorite preachers. I have my favorite writers. I have my favorite sports players. I have my favorite people in the world. But I, I've already come to acknowledge and accept that God did not make me to be a C.D. Brooks 2.0. God did not say, okay, you're going to be David Asherick light. God did not call us to just be after another man. He made you a unique human being. The prophet says to us, it says, to every individual who is made in the image of God, they have a power akin to that of the Creator. The power to think and to act. And wherever this power is developed, this is what it means to have true education. I don't want to train people to be mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. I want them to know that God can lead them. And please believe, brothers and sisters, we can easily create spiritual hazing. You got to go through what I went through before you become a leader. You got to go through what I went through before you become an elder. You got to go through these hazing rituals of the church before you can serve. Ellen White says, that in the last days, what days did I say? Last days. In the last days, 
Men and women will come into this church and they will learn in months what took others years to understand. God doesn't need to take them through your crooked calf path. God has his own direct way to lead his people. God is calling us to do more than just attempt what we think we can do. We need to stop being afraid of failure. I asked myself this question, Sebastian, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I said, Lord, if I knew I couldn't fail, I would play the piano. I said, Lord, if I, if I knew I couldn't fail, I would memorize whole books of the Bible. If I knew I couldn't fail, I'd sing a duet with my wife. Lord knows that would be a miracle. If I knew I couldn't fail, I'd see Jesus come in my lifetime. I would see his work finished. I would see Revelation 18 in before my very eyes, in vivo. What would you do, GYC, if you knew you couldn't fail? We don't need to leave this conference to go home to do more of the same. Whatever programs are on your church books, whatever things you have on your academic or evangelism calendar, that's not finishing the work. We cannot leave this conference to go home and continue walking the crooked calf's path. Just following precedent. We should be challenging ourselves and say, Lord, take us to the next level. If I knew I couldn't fail. You see, I believe I can think of at least one thing tonight that each and every one of us would do and should do if we know we cannot fail, and that is to gain victory over sin. You see, throughout Revelation, we are reminded that somebody is going to overcome. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. When you're there, you can say amen. Are you there? If you're not there, you can just say, have mercy. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him who what? Overcomes. overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Brothers and sisters, someone is going to overcome. The Bible goes on to say in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11, are you there? It says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Someone is going to overcome. Amen. Revelation 2 verse 17. The Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knows saving he that receives it. God's gonna give you a name between you and him alone. God's gonna give you a name that when he says it, only you and Jesus know about that name. Can you say amen? amen. I'm excited about what my new name is going to be, although I do like the name Sebastian. But someone is going to overcome. The Bible goes on to say in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me 
on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, someone is going to overcome. Hallelujah. You see, how do I know that someone is going to overcome? How can I be certain that someone is going to overcome? You see, I got two reasons why. You see, GYC, I know that someone's going to overcome because God wouldn't make these promises to a person that has never and will never exist. God's not going to make these promises that he doesn't have, oh, someone's going to eat from the tree of life and going to get a new name, knowing full well that no one is going to overcome. Are you with me? God doesn't go up and say, I'm going to have a tree of life for no one to eat from. He's not going to have a white stone with someone's new name and no one's going to get a new name. Are you with me? But number two, the other reason I know is because the Bible says that John saw them. Go to Revelation 15. Revelation chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 2. Are you there? I want you to say amen if you're there. The Bible says in verse 2, it says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory, it's the same word in the Greek. Those who have overcome the beast over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. Can you say amen? amen. John has already saw them in prophecy. And I'm wondering, Lord, did John see me on that sea of glass? Maybe you're wondering tonight, did John see me on the sea of glass? Well, I believe that your decision tonight and each and every day until the end of time will determine whether John saw you or not. I want you to know that you don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to feel overwhelmed. In counseling and in preaching to young people all over the world, people are getting tired of sin. People are getting discouraged. Some young people are coming to a place where they say, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to make it. They get tired of the same old sins over and over and over and over again. But I want you to notice the song of these people who got the victory. Revelation 15, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, And they sing the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. I want you to notice in their song, there is no just and true are my ways. These who have gotten the victory over the beast, over his mark, over his image, over the number of his name, they're not up in heaven saying, oh yes, worthy, worthy am I. They're not up in heaven singing the song and saying, oh, great and marvelous are my works. No, 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 no. When they get to heaven, the Bible says they're saying, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. These are the ones who got the victory. How can your victory song be about anything else but your victory? Are you with me? 
And if this song is about their victory, then the question is, what is it teaching us about how they got their victory? They didn't get their victory because of anything inside themselves. They didn't get the victory because of what they knew. They didn't get the victory because of some inner power inside their soul. The Bible says they looked down and they said, Lord, just and true are your ways. They came to a place where they said, you know what? Jesus, the only reason we're here is because you have been faithful. GYC, I got a message for you tonight, and that message is very, very, very simple. When you and I get to heaven, we're not going to be standing before God talking about, I'm here because I was faithful. Because you and I both know we haven't been faithful. We've denied him. We've failed. We've been cowards when we should have had courage. We compromised when we should have been committed. We wavered when we should have been walking the path by faith. We strayed away, we got discouraged, we were overcome with grief when we should have been faithful and rejoicing with joy in the Lord. Not going to be sitting on that sea of glass talking about this is what I have done. You see, the Bible says we are to overcome as Jesus also overcame. As means in the same way. And I love this quote from our father, Cares. She says, we must overcome as Jesus overcame. Her next sentence is, by trusting in God's promises. By trusting in his what? His promises. He received strength to keep his commandments. I'm going to say that again. She says, Jesus overcame by trusting in God's promises. He received strength to keep God's commandments. The Bible says that the dragon is wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed who do what? Keep the commandments of God. How are we going to keep the commandments of God? By trusting in his promises. GYC, I need you to know tonight that there's no reason to be discouraged because what the Bible is trying to teach us is that when we look at the promises, we find out that Jesus has always been faithful. You see, when I was in the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps had several different models over time. It used to be to the shores of Tripoli. It used to be fortified. But then something happened in 1836 or 1835 where they decided we're going to choose a different model and they chose the motto Semper Fidelis. In Latin it means always faithful and they wanted to make sure that people understood with the Marine Corps even to this day this still continues that the Marine Corps is all about this exact phrase always faithful. So they said, look, in order for you to always be faithful, it takes three things. It takes honor, it takes courage, and it takes commitment. So I remember being in boot camp. And I remember when we were practicing with the rifle on rifle range. I'm not endorsing this. I'm just telling you a story. And I remember that you had to hit the target eight times out of ten times. 
And if you didn't hit it eight times out of 10 times from 500 yards, that's five football fields away, then you failed. But you see, boot camp was very interesting because in Marine Corps boot camp, when you come back to what they call the squad bay, where you sleep and do all your work and everything and shower, they tell you to get online. So they have this little line across and you stand online and the drill instructor walks in and instead of saying, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed, he stands in front and he says, if you failed rifle range, step out. He already knows who failed. But it is a test of honor. Do you have the honor and the courage to step out and own your mistake? Knowing the consequences, that man is going to make you do push-ups until you die. <laughs> you already knew what was coming. But even though you knew what was coming, you recognized that all that difficulty of doing push-ups, all that difficulty of being punished would be compared as nothing to me losing my honor. It would be compared as nothing to me losing my courage. I would rather do push-ups for four hours, but at least I'm still an honorable man. You see, GYC, this is the place that you and I have to come to. And to recognize that this is where Christ is, this is where Christ was, and this is where he's always been. I'm gonna take you back to the book of 1 Samuel to show you that Jesus has always been faithful. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Turn there quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 30. The Bible says here, in the life of David, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. The Bible says in verse 6, now David was greatly distressed. Do you know why David was greatly distressed? The Bible says, for the people spoke of stoning him. These are the men who've been walking with him. They spoke of stoning him, the Bible says, because the soul of all the people was bitter. It was discouraged, every man for his sons and his daughters. But the Bible says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Listen, sometimes you come to a place as a leader. Sometimes you come to a place as a father, as a mother that you've tried to lead. And all of a sudden, as you're trying to lead your family, lead your church, lead your youth group, lead your ministry, Things get difficult. Things go wrong for the people that you are following and for your own life. And you're saying, Lord, how can I bear this burden? The people I'm leading are suffering as I'm trying to follow you and do the work you've called me to do. And now, Lord, it's gotten to the point where the people are thinking about stoning me. 
The Bible says that David recognized something in that moment. He said, wait a minute, before I get bogged down by what I see, before I get discouraged by what's going on around me, before I sit down and start meditating on all the gossip, he says, let me remember how God has led me in the past. Saul tried to kill me 20-something times. I had Saul in my hands, and Saul had me in his hands. Saul has an enormous army. I only got 300 men, but God has led me, and I survived. And now that David has survived, the Bible says he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. GYC, I need you to know that if you're discouraged about your struggle with sin and Satan and self, even though you're overwhelmed, just sit down and think about how God has led you in the past. And what you're going to find is that he's always been faithful. And you strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. But you see, it's not enough. Go to Psalm 3. I want to take you to Psalm 3 because David has some of my favorite promises in the Bible. Psalm 3. When you're there, say amen. The Bible says, a psalm of David when he was running from Absalom, his own son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord has sustained me. Somebody better say amen. amen. Sometimes you're not even sure you're going to make it through the night. David said, I laid down my head and I woke up because the Lord has sustained me. Sometimes you're so sick. Sometimes the cancer is so bad. Sometimes the disease is just so debilitating to your body. You say, Lord, I don't think I'm going to make it. But David said, listen to me. When everyone said there is no help for him in God, when everyone was increased against him, he said, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me. You are my glory and the lifter of my head. And I laid down my head and I slept. And I got up the next morning because the Lord has sustained me. You see, Jesus has always been faithful. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah in the 59th chapter. The Bible says... Beginning in verse 19, are you there? The Bible says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Somebody better say amen. You look at these promises and recognize that right here he says, When the enemy comes in like a flood, when the dragon sent that flood after the woman, did not the Spirit raise up a standard against it? Yes or no? Yes, because he's always been faithful. But here in Isaiah, he says, listen, Jesus received strength through the promises of God. 
so that he could keep the commandments of God. We need to stop focusing on the commandments and start focusing on the promises. Let's not sit here and get in the nitty-gritty, well, what does this mean to keep the Sabbath? We don't need to lower the standard. We need to increase our strength and dependence on Christ. Too many people want to sit here and say, well, this is too difficult. Maybe it is for you. But there's nothing too difficult for you and the Lord. We don't need to preach easier standards. We don't need to make it easier to be a seven-day Adventist. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when I joined this church... People said, you know, Brother Sebastian, I'm so excited, you know, as you joined our church there in Georgia. They said, you know, the one thing I love about new converts is that they're always on fire. They're always ready to go. They're always ready to get into evangelism. And I looked at the person and I said, you know what? I'm going to explain that in my next sermon. And I stood in that pulpit the next day and I said, I need you to understand something, church family. That when people come into the church... The reason why we come in hitting the ground running, the reason why we come in willing to do all that Jesus says, the reason why we come in saying, I'm ready to surrender, is because it cost us something to be a Christian. We had to give up things in order to follow Jesus. We knew that, look, I wasn't born into this. I didn't inherit this. I didn't grow up singing the songs of Zion. I had to recognize that if I'm going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost me something. So you better believe if I'm going to lose my friends, I believe 100% of this. You better believe if I'm going to give up having all these relationships and family gatherings, you better believe I believe this 100%. Because when it costs you something, that's all of a sudden when people are not so sure to join. So let's not make it easy for people to join the church. We need to recognize that when Jesus laid his ideal for us, which Ellen White says is higher than the highest human thought can reach, is God's ideal for his children. Godliness, God-likeness is the goal to be reached. How do you think you're going to become God-like in your own strength? How do you think you're going to become like Jesus in your own strength? You will never do it. We don't even know what it's like to be holy. Because everything in us, the Bible says, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That means even the good things you do. We're not talking about your sins. We're talking about the fact you got up this morning to have devotion, righteousness, filthy rags. We are never going to do it in our own strength. And so the Bible doesn't say when the enemy comes in like a flood, make sure you have your buckets ready. The Bible doesn't say when the enemy comes in like a flood, make sure you dig a deep enough ditch to swallow up the flood. No, the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit, the who? The spirit will raise up a standard for you. Amen. We need to be less dependent on men and more dependent upon Christ. Christ's object lesson says the success, our success, in the work, it is not the capabilities we now possess or ever will possess that will give us success in the work. It is only, it is what? Only that which the Lord can do for you. 
We need to have less confidence in what men can do and more confidence in what God can do for every believing soul. Oh, but the quote doesn't stop there. She says, God longs to have us reach out after him in faith. God longs to have us expect great things from him. <laughs> Do you understand the word longs? You see, if somebody was at lunch this afternoon and they said, hey, brother, are you going to finish that, that sandwich over there? Oh, I'd really like your sandwich. That's one thing. But if the brother looks at your food and says, hey, brother, I'm longing for your sandwich. That, that just feels like a deep soul desire. Are you following me? So when the Bible says that God says, I'm longing to have you expect great things from me. That is a deep divine soul desire that God says, when are you going to come to me and ask me for things that only God can do? When you say, Lord, they said there's a 12-step stop smoking program. Lord, I want you to do it in one step because only God can do that. Lord, they said oh, there's a process of healing from these broken relationships. But Lord, I need you to do it today because I need you to do something that only God can do. Let's stop asking God to do things that men can do. And then we will see God work. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has always been faithful. I want to go to my last verse, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, let's turn there quickly. The Bible says, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, not the finish line, Looking unto Jesus, not the finish line. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, when Paul says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, one commentator says that Paul is using Olympic language. When the runners would gather there in Greece, as they're all lined up, as they walk, onto the track to run the race. Along the halls, they would see those who have run the race before them. They would see them wearing their crowns. So that as they're coming to the starting line and they say, look, this is a marathon. This is gonna be a long race. This is gonna be a hard race. But you see, as you walk by these men sitting in the stands with their garlands on, the runner remembers that when I'm in the race and I'm getting tired, when I'm in the race and I'm getting discouraged, I remember that I saw Abraham in the stands. I remember that among that great cloud of witnesses, I saw Daniel in the stands. I remember as I'm coming to run this race that I saw Noah in the stands whose faith lasted 120 years. I remember that I saw Jesus in the stands saying I've run this race and we have won. 
because he's always been faithful. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Heavenly Father, is there someone in this room that is discouraged, that is tired of living an average Christian life, that is ready to come to Jesus tonight up to this altar and say, Lord, I want to ask you for something that only God can do. I want to ask you for a victory that only Jesus can give. So that when someone says, where are the Daniels today? Where are the Esthers? Where are the Josephs? Where are the Enochs today? And someone's going to look down at that little church, wherever you are, and they'll say, these are they. These are they. If that is your desire, as Nestor sings this song, I want you to be an answer to the song. When they say, where are the Daniels? We're going to be able to say they're right here in Louisville. If that is the call that God has placed upon your heart, say, Lord, I'm coming here to ask you to do something that only Jesus can do. I want you to come to this altar as he sings this song. Say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm struggling. I'm coming. And I'm asking you to do what only Jesus can do. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.